fourth watch starts now. Hello, everybody. You're listening to The Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on The Fourth Watch Radio Network. I hope everyone's having a blessed week. Tonight's going to be an interesting discussion, picking up where we left off when I was on the sharpening report with Josh Peck recently. Of course, there will be a wide variety of topics to surface, and we will also be getting into Josh's current research into angelic DNA. We've got a lot to cover, so let's go ahead and start the adventure. Submitted for the approval of the Fourth Watch Radio Network, I call this episode Angelic Genetics and Extra-Dimensional Warfare with special guest Josh Peck. As many of you know, I was recently a guest on the Sharpening Report with Josh Peck, and we dug into CERN, NASA, and the Nephilim, and even took it into some different directions than I had initially planned on, and the timing was perfect. Because Josh had been doing some research into angelic DNA, more specifically in regards to the Nephilim breeding program. And Josh has even published some articles based on his research. So tonight we'll be discussing the biological ramifications of multidimensional breeding programs and even answering some questions about extra-dimensional warfare and the believer. What is the relationship between the two? We'll also be getting into some various things that are going on in this area of research. For those of you who don't know Josh, first and foremost, he's a Christian. He's also a researcher, a published author, and the host of The Sharpening Report. He's written the books entitled Disclosure and Quantum Creation, as well as his most recent work, Cherubim Chariots, and his website is ministry.com. It's been a blessing working with Josh, and tonight we're going to have some stimulating conversation as we usually do. Now, without any further ado, let's go ahead and go to the line with Josh Peck. Josh, welcome back to the Fourth Watch. How are hey, you tonight? I'm doing great, Justin. How are you? Man, I'm great. This is this is really cool to be back on, uh, just discussing, kind of continuing our discussion uh, from the sharpening report we did last week. And uh, man, this is really cool because you know we had a lot of good feedback from the from the sharpening report. And um, I've I've had some people email me. Uh, matter of fact, I'm a little behind on emails. I've I've been a little overwhelmed. Um, but uh, it's man, it's really great to be back with you uh, doing a show together. And, uh, well, technically you're with me, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, yeah, tonight, man, we're going to be talking about angelic genetics and, you know, again, it's kind of continuing because last week, uh, when we were together, we talked about the technologies that the fallen angels are using and even, you know, opening some interesting discussions, uh, between CERN and NASA. And it's, you know, now we're dealing with their technology for, creating hybrids and you know and again we're going in a little different direction uh than a lot of the genesis 6 talks go because we're gonna we're going deeper than that and and you've written some blogs and uh, you've made a video about this so why don't you get started tell us a little bit about the the angelic genetics and I, i know one of the questions that you answered was why exactly are the nephilim physical giants and so I want to talk about that, and then I kind of want to go into the idea of the modern hybrids and how we're not seeing giants per se 
in modern time, but we do believe that there's Nephilim. So uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I usually do. But let's go ahead and start with uh, why the Nephilim are giants. And then we'll talk about how their DNA is affected, um, you know, when it comes into the, the angel DNA with the, with the human DNA. And then we'll kind of work our way up. Absolutely. Yeah. And this, this is something that I think that, uh, <clears throat> I mean, I know speaking just about, you know, myself, I, I've, I've taken this for granted for a long time. You know, we read Genesis six and once we come into the understanding of what's actually happening there, uh, I, 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 for a long time, I just never really questioned why were they giants? You know, why, why does, uh, in, when an angel and a human mate, why does it, produce a giant and, and you know it seems on the surface the answer is obvious well it's an angel duh okay but wh- <laughs> what what about an angel because nowhere in the bible does it actually describe angels as being giants you know i mean there might be a couple passages in revelation that if you know if you tried you probably could turn it that way but there's nothing that it doesn't come out and say that usually when when uh angels are are viewed uh, or described, um, it, it says they're uh, usually they just look like a regular person, and um, they're described as men usually. Uh, and, and then you know there's other passages like Ezekiel, but I mean even even that though, and I mean those angels look totally weird, but <laughs> you know we're not given like a really good description on actual size. And like uh, you know for for example, if there's anybody listening that this is like all completely new. Um, there, Genesis, uh, 18, one through two, um, talks about, uh, it, it says, and the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door, uh, in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him, and when he saw them, he ran to meet them for the tent door and bowed himself towards the ground. And that, that's actually the, the Lord and two angels, as we, you know, find when we read the rest of the passage. Um, Genesis 19, verses one and verses five, uh, those two verses says, and there came two angels to Sodom at even or you know evening, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Um, and then verse five says, and they called unto Lot and said unto him, uh, and this is talking about the people of Sodom, uh, where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out so that we may know them. So it, it, they're described as men here too. And then. Uh, a really interesting passage is uh, Hebrews 13:2, yes, uh, which says, "Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware." So angels generally, I mean, they can look, you know, some of them look like other things, but generally they look like people, like men. Uh, and and an interesting side note is that verse doesn't specify whether these are benevolent or malevolent angels. It's exactly, just, it's just angels of of any sort. So. Um, you know, whether good or bad. So, uh, <laughs> so that, that's interesting. And um, so a larger physical size doesn't seem to be an, an attribute of angels, um, but their hybrid offspring with humans were physically gigantic. That's that's like the one thing that it really says about their appearance. Uh, you know, the main thing anyway. I mean, there's like the six, you know, fingers and toes thing too, but double um, rows of teeth, yeah, <laughs> red yeah, hair, like- any, any, any gingers out there listening right now? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love gingers. I love people with red hair. So I've got a little bit of red in my beard. So yeah, I do too. I'm not a giant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no nephews here. <laughs> exactly. 
And uh, in the book of Jude, uh, which is the, this is a nice tie-in from uh, one of the viewer questions from when you were on the sharpening report. In the book of Jude, it says that uh, the rebellious angels seem to have lost something once they fell. Verse 6 says, uh, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, hath reserved in everlasting chains unto darkness, uh, unto the judgment of the great day. And the, and uh, so an interpretation could be made that states the, uh, and of course there's, other, there's different ways of looking at this, but um, uh, that says the first estate or habitation is referring to the angelic body, and there's good reasons for that view, and I, I agree with that. Um, and I, I have I, I wrote all about that in, in great detail in my book Disclosure, uh, and uh, and and a blog uh, an article uh, on my blog uh, the secrets of the Nephilim who they are who are they what are they doing and why uh, so people want to check that out but that still brings up the question if uh, if fallen angels truly traded in their um, extra dimensional angelic body for a completely three dimensionally physical one, then wouldn't that apply to genetics? You know, if, if there was nothing angelic about the body anymore, why would that stop at just an outward appearance? Wouldn't there, the, the cellular makeup and genetics and the DNA be non-angelic as well? So I don't believe that it would be accurate to say the angels who fell traded their angelic bodies for human bodies i don't i don't believe that but i i do believe that the text states that there is a a type of downgrade that occurred especially when you know considering the meanings of the words used from the original languages oikterion and all that uh but um there there's still uh aspects of angelic physiology that i believe they were able to retain and it that of uh extra dimensionality and i i've i've i know that Probably every time I've been on your show, I've at least mentioned it. But uh, I believe that you know angels are extra-dimensional beings. They they uh, take up space in more dimensions of space than just three. Um, so I, and I talk a lot about that in in my book Quantum Creation and also Cherubim Chariots that angels are truly extra-dimensional, and that uh, that applies, I believe, to heavenly and fallen angels. So instead of thinking of angels as like ethereal or kind of wispy, ghostly entities that are, you know, kind of not made of anything, like kind of like what our culture and movies, you know, portray them as, it's actually more accurate to think of angels as being super physical or, or more physical than us. They, they, uh, they possess more physicality than we do. The, the difference is that they're able to exist in higher dimensions. Um, and since we can only perceive three, if an angel is, you know, existing in, say, the fourth spatial dimension, uh, we we won't be able to see him. To us, it's invisible, but that doesn't mean that they're losing physicality at all. Exactly. Um, no, I have, to, I have to say I totally agree with you on that. And you know, even even when you get into the, and I know some people kind of get lost when we go when we talk about the whole flatland uh, hypothesis. Um, you know, and we you and I broke that down on the first show that that you did on the fourth watch. But really, and I think Chuck Missler talked about if a, you know, a multidimensional vehicle, which we popularly call a UFO. Um, and again, ladies and gentlemen, if this sounds crazy to you, and again, I have to say this because we pick up new listeners constantly. I know what, yeah. you know, you do, Josh, I do. 
And, you know, people will hear something that we say, they'll hear a show and they'll say, oh, man, I really like this guy. I love what he's talking about. And then they'll hear us say something else and they're like, oh, well, you know, forget this guy. So, (laughs) And I say that because uh, we do pick up listeners constantly. And I think that it's important to say that if you're listening right now and you're not familiar with UFOs in the Bible, uh, there are at least two occasions where UFOs are referenced. And one is in Ezekiel. We hear about the wheel within a wheel. The other one is going to be back in... uh, the story of Elijah, that the prophet Elijah was taken up. I forget the exact address of that, um, but Elijah gets taken up. Was that Second Kings? Yes. I, I forget the exact address. So, but regardless, you know, he gets taken up in a chariot of fire. And the word in Hebrew, chariot. I know chariot's not a Hebrew word, so. <laughs> but the word that's translated chariot literally in Hebrew just means a vehicle, uh, some sort of transportation. So, something crosses into our dimension and passes through. From another dimension, it might appear to be a round disc, but in reality, it might not really be a round disc. So, okay, I don't want to get into the physics. I know it's, you know, it might be a little over somebody's head, um, but I need to make a point real quick. Now, we talked about this on the sharpening report last week. We mentioned how we were answering the question that you that you just brought up about, you know, when angels uh, left their first estate, what really, what type of tax did they pay per se? What did they give up? Um, now I have to say, you know, based on Job chapter two, I believe that angels still have their extra dimensional bodies. I still believe that they they have the shape shifting abilities or as the ancients would have said, uh, the changeling qualities. Again, I don't prescribe to, uh, you know, I don't get into the whole esoteric, uh, you know, I don't get my knowledge from esoteric books, but in that camp, they'll use the term changeling quality. I think it might be the some some pagan group, I forget what it is, but uh, maybe the Celts, they would use the term changeling, uh, which, you know, Gary Wayne and I talked about the changeling quality. When they come into our dimension, they change. They yeah. can choose what shape they want to take on. Now, with that said, I just want to take us to Job 2 real quick, because I think this is adding to what you were saying. Uh, I'm just going to start in verse 1, and of course, this is the King James Version. Uh, it says here, and again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Now, it's funny because this is the same passage that I use to prove that there's a hollow earth. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to go on down in that, but, but here's the bottom line here. The sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Now, they didn't go down to the Baptist church on the corner of the street, okay? Uh, they presented themselves before the Lord, and there was Satan with them. Yep. Now, Paul talks about you know, based on Paul's writings, we can get the idea that there's, you know, multiple heavens. Obviously, I believe one thing they lost was that they wouldn't be able to go into the throne room of God. I, I really believe that. Yeah. Because no sin can enter in there. Um, but but it's just it's interesting because here we see that somehow and this verse is also used to disprove the Sethite view. Yes. Uh, you know, the, the Sethites out there. And obviously I, get, I can pretty much say there's no Sethites listening anymore. If you yeah. if, if you were a Sethite and you listened to the fourth watch, you probably hate me now. So, <laughs> you know, and I've lost listeners over that. Big deal. I don't care. The Sethite view is a bunch of crap. Yeah. Um, and it's taught in seminary. There goes one more strike against seminary. 
perverting the minds of pastors with this rationalist view that got real popular. If I'm not mistaken, the whole rationalism came about in the 1800s. I'm getting on a tangent here. I'm sorry. But the point of this is, Josh made a good point. I'm just backing it up that we believe they still have extra dimensional qualities based on Job chapter two. At least we can say we definitely have evidence that the fallen angels can present themselves before the Lord outside of our realm. Which we believe to be another dimension. Now, I'm sorry. Let me give the mic back to Josh. Um, please take it from there, Josh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I'm glad that you brought up Flatland too, because that's the best, um, in my opinion, that's the best thought exercise that we have to be able to uh, get our heads around this thing. Because I mean, it is impossible to envision an extra spatial dimension. You know, when we think of three, the three dimensions that we live in. You know, the x axis, the y axis, and the z axis. For an extra dimension to exist, it would have to be perpendicular from all three of those. And that's impossible to imagine. <laughs> Anything that we can imagine would be uh, uh, one of those directions or a combination. Um, so one uh, example that pretty much any physicist will use to communicate this that um, – that talks about higher spatial dimension. And, and and just to be clear for those that this is like brand new to, uh, we're not talking about time. Time's a temporal dimension. And if you, if you take all spatial and temporal dimensions put together, then yes, time is the fourth dimension, but we're not talking about time. So we're just talking about spatial dimensions or dimensions of space. So the fourth spatial dimension that that's, you know, when when I say the fourth dimension, you know that's what I'm talking about. Uh, so in the in the late 1800s, there was this book called uh, that was written called Flatland: A Romance of Many Dimensions, written by A. Abbott, and it explores the idea of a fictional two-dimensional universe called Flatland. And uh, the inhabitants of Flatland are known as Flatlanders, and they're described as simple shapes like squares, circles, and triangles, stuff like that. And the story explores the question of how a being of three spatial dimensions, like you or I, uh, or like a sphere, would describe himself to or or interact with a flatlander and be properly understood. So a flatlander would have no concept of up or down. To a flatlander, all that exists is forward, backward, left, and right. So because of this, height and depth are completely foreign concepts, just like the fourth spatial dimension is to us. And uh, so flatlanders wouldn't be able to perceive or even envision in their minds the third spatial dimension. So even if a three-dimensional object were to breach their two-dimensional space, flatlanders would only see it in their two-dimensional perspective. Uh, So say if I were to drop a ball through flatland, the flatlanders witnessing that, they wouldn't see the ball as we do. They would see a point in space appear in front of them just as the ball breaches their space. And as the ball passes through, flatlanders would see a circle growing in size in front of them. The circle would reach its largest when the middle of the ball passes through. And then after that, as the ball is exiting, flatlanders would see the circle shrink in size and eventually disappear completely. Um, So technically, the flatlanders actually did see the entire ball, but they only saw it in numerous two-dimensional slices. They didn't get they didn't see it as the complete object. Exactly. So we can we can actually apply that thought exercise to our three-dimensional experience and, uh, to help imagine uh, extra spatial dimensions. Um, so what if a what if a sphere or a hypersphere, which is a, a sphere of four spatial dimensions uh, rather than three, 
What if that were to breach our three dimensions of space? For us, it would be the same thing, just with an added dimension. So we would uh, we would first see a point in space appear, and as the hypersphere moves through our space, that point would become a ball and continue growing in size. Once the middle of the hypersphere was through our space, we would see the ball start to shrink in size as it disappears completely. Um, and also, uh, interesting side note, it's really interesting that a lot of reports of Uf UFOs contain details like that. Oh, yeah. Where, yeah, these craft, they'll, they'll shrink in size and expand, and they look they look like they're made of solid metal, like they don't, you know, but they change shape and color and do all these weird things. It's because those that people are seeing, they're extra dimensional. This isn't, there are craft that, you know, I do believe, I, I when it comes to UFOs, okay, I'm going off on a tangent. When it comes, no, no, when it comes it's cool to, because, you know, you, you have like five of them left, okay? Because like I went on so many tangents on your show. <laughs> I, I mean, come on, you, you take the floor, dude. And look, if somebody's <laughs> listening right now and you don't understand what Josh is talking about, um, don't feel bad. Okay. Because I don't, under I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just playing. Okay. This stuff is heavy. I'll, I I can only follow you because I know what you're talking about. I've looked into it. Well, when it comes to, when it comes to UFOs, I think there's three, there's, there's three different classes, I guess, or three basic, you know, types. Uh, the first one, I do believe that our government is building actual machines, you know, terraform. Uh, yeah. Terraform crafts. Yeah. 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 And I, I, I believe that. And then I, I also do believe that there are, uh, entities you know that aren't human um and i don't mean beings that uh were created on another planet like we were created on earth i'm not talking about that uh you know ba ba basically fallen angels or demons or some kind of genetic you know i mean we'll get into all that a little later but i believe that some of those can also create way better uh, technological, still three-dimensional, but but technological um, spacecraft and things like that, better than what we can do. But I also believe that the th there's a third category, which is truly extra-dimensional craft. And um, so when people see things like that, I, I don't believe a three-dimensional uh, piece of technology or, or craft is going to be able to change shape and do all that, when actually the simpler explanation is, it's extra dimensional. That's how it's doing that. Just like, just like Flatland. Um, so that, that, that kind of helps get our head around. And, and for, for the audience, if this makes no sense, that's okay. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's really kind of not supposed to because, um, we can't envision a fourth spatial dimension. So we have to try to use these, these, uh, tricks and ways to get around it to at least, you know, fundamentally understand it. Uh, and Flatland's really the best example. So um, we can actually use that to help uh, us consider the extra dimensionality of angels. An angel can breach our space and even look perfectly human, but that doesn't mean that that's all there is to that angel when we see an angel. Um, just like if we see a hypersphere, we're only seeing one three-dimensional slice of a four-dimensional object. Uh, so we wouldn't be able to see what's hidden in other dimensions. Um, so again, with the whole hypersphere thing, if it were to stop midway through, you know, our dimension of space, it would look like a normal ball. If it were small enough, we could actually, uh, we would be able to uh, touch it, pick it up, throw it around, and we could even fully enclose it in a container. Um, but, you know, there's one catch to that. If the ball was really a hypersphere, it actually still should be heavier than what we would originally deduce. And that 
I could go on the mother of all tangents on that because that gets into uh, dark energy and dark matter and the expansion of the universe. And uh, but I, uh, uh, I, I'll, I, if I go down that road, I'll, I'll end up taking the whole show. And if you that. go down that road, we're gonna need to get some form of like degree on paper you know like if we if we sit and listen to you talk about that i want some kind of diploma to prove that i sat through your course okay (laughs) (laughs) so in flatland we can imagine that uh if we imagine flatland as vertical instead of horizontal so when we talked about flatland before it was horizontal you know um like a tabletop but now let's let's say that it was turned up on end so now flatland consists of left right up and down but not forward and backward uh, so think of Flatland like a wall instead of the floor. So that would mean that Flatland would now be subject to gravity. Uh, even if Flatlanders were the same size as us by way of height and width, they would still weigh way less <laughs> than we do because there's, there's, there's just less of their physical makeup. Uh, if a human were to step halfway through Flatland, uh, he would look like a normal Flatlander to any other Flatlander. Um, if Flatlanders were to try and weigh the human or pick him up, they would quickly realize something was different. They, they would discover that he, he weighs a lot more than they do. Um, so the difference is the rest, of it, the rest of his physical body is hidden in the third spatial dimension. So if we look at this from the other end, it would also mean that uh, the human would be incredibly stronger, way more powerful than any Flatlander. Uh, lifting a Flatlander would be no problem at all to the human. Even if the Flatlanders were to become frightened and try attacking the human, the human could win the battle easily by sheer strength and utilizing the third spatial dimension. The human could just, uh, you know, step into the third dimension and take the Flatlanders out one by one with ease. The Flatlanders would have no defense. So if you scale that up to our three dimensions and, and considering extra spatial dimensions, that might explain some of the amazing strengths and abilities that angels possess in the Bible. Second Kings uh, 1930, uh, yeah, 1935 says, That night the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 100, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. That's one angel. <laughs> In one night did that. No, absolutely. That story always blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mine too. And but if 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 an angel can utilize extra dimensions, it would be no problem because what defense like if the whole flatland thing was like a real thing, what defense would a flatlander have against me if I can just step out of the two dimensions that, you know, he can inhabit? And then I, I can just I can just kill them from the third dimension and they would have no defense. So that that's kind of how you know we are uh, to angels, and that's why it's so important that we know how to use the name of Jesus because that that yes. Jesus is our only defense. Um, and now, and, and and we're gonna actually like that's gonna be an important discussion we're gonna have here in a few minutes about what to do. Somebody asked if you know wh- what would you do in the event that you came face to face with a fallen angel or a nephilim. We're gonna get into that because I, I've got I've got some information that I'm gonna share. Some of it might make you uncomfortable. But uh, I've got a great. I, I I can't wait to get there, Josh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. It, it's it, it's it's definitely important. So um yeah. So to wrap up this uh, genetic thing, um well at least the, the first part of this, or you know however deep we're gonna get into it. But uh so now th- this part gets a little. Th- this is a little strange. But you know just laying aside and and again this is just a thought exercise. So it's not like this. 
dimensional thought exercises can really only go so far. But um, but anyway, so laying aside the exact mechanics of how such a thing could actually happen, imagine if a human were to impregnate a flatlander female. Um, and again, it's just a thought exercise. Obviously, physically, it's not going to happen. But, you know, let's just say. Um, now, most of the fertilization process happens on the flatlander side. Um, because it's, it's the flatlander woman that's gonna, you know, birth the, the child and, you know, all that. Uh, so for it to even be possible, the three dimensional human seed would have to somehow adapt. So if, if conception actually occurred, um, it would be within a two dimensional environment. The genetics from the male would still be passed to the offspring, but the new body that's forming within the flatlander womb would be two-dimensional. And I'm not saying that spatial dimensionality has anything to do with genetics. You know, that's not like a gene that we carry, and that's why we're three-dimensional. Um, I, when I did the video, there were a couple people on YouTube that thought, thought that was what I was saying, and it, it's, it's not. Um, so hopefully this will make more sense as I, as I continue. But um, j just speaking like genetics, uh, the genetics from the male would still be passed to the offspring, but the new body would still be would be two dimensional because that's what's forming in the in the female. Um, so the flatlander would be two dimensional herself uh, and would not be capable of housing or creating or even contributing to something three dimensional. So the three dimensional end of the spectrum would have to adapt to the new two dimensional environment. So that raises the issue that uh, you know there are still three-dimensional traits being passed down to a two-dimensional child, but most of those, like skin, hair, eye color, th that's not going to pose any problem. Um, that's totally transferable. It's, it's not an issue. But uh, the genes that determine size, that would be. The, the genes that determine three-dimensional size would still be present in the new two-dimensional hybrid, but now it has to adapt to uh, you know, a two-dimensional environment. So Simply speaking, all that mass and size has to go somewhere. So with no other choice, the size of the hybrid grows in the two dimensions that it can actually inhabit. Yet, since there's so much of it, the hybrid would grow to an incredible height and width. Um, once born, that two-dimensional human flatlander hybrid would quickly be recognized as a giant among other flatlanders because... All that, all that mass has nowhere else to go. Now, of course, this is all speculative, and that's, that's all it is. But uh, if we use that thought exercise for three spatial dimensions, it might help explain why Nephilim were, were giants. The extra-dimensional genetics of an angel would be passed to the hybrid child, but again, most of those, they're not going to pose a problem, you know, hair color, eye color, that, that kind of stuff. But the genes that determine size, and again, this isn't ex, this isn't dimension, dimensional size. There's no three-dimensional gene. You know, this is just we we do we do have genes that determine physical size. Um, you know, like my my wife and I are both really tall. We have tall children, so it, it's it's genetics. Uh, so there are genes that determine size. Now, if that if that gene is determining a size that's supposed to take up more dimensions, but it's got to, you know, go into a uh, or conform to a body that is of less dimensions, um, it, it would ha it would have to conform. So it, there's at least one less spatial dimension it can grow in. The hybrid child would have to grow far more in the three dimensions it could actually inhabit. Um, so if there's any validity to uh, th there, there's a really interesting uh, 
in the Cabra Nagast chapter 100, and, and, and this is a 14th century text. I don't know if there's any validity to this, but, uh, it actually explains his birthing process of it, of these these giants. It says, uh, with whom the angels have uh, had companied conceived, but they were unable to bring forth their children, and they died. And of the children who were in their wombs, some died and some came forth, having split open the bellies of their mothers, they came forth by their navels. And when they were grown up and reached man's estate, they became giants whose height reached into the clouds. Uh, so that that's that's kind of you know, a horrific uh, <laughs> a description of what the birthing process was actually like, but it would make sense. They would they would be growing so fast and so big, the woman wouldn't be able to really contain it. Um, and that's so, why I kind of, I, you know, I fast forward up to modern day technology, and I, re- I think that, the, I really believe that they're using the avatar technology now. I, I really do. You know, I think that what we're dealing with now it's not necessarily, you know, angels, you know, impregnating women, although I'm not saying that doesn't happen. Uh, I mean, matter of fact, I believe that uh, the way that it would happen, because, you know, a lot of people, Josh, are going to say, well, you know, angels can't, you know, angels don't have, you know, reproductive organs. Well, first of all, nobody knows. I've made the joke before. Nobody's ever seen an angel with his pants down. But right. regardless, when you do see an angel, if they're trying to get frisky with a woman, they're going to appear like a man. Exactly. Taking us back to the scripture in Genesis, taking us back to Hebrews. That's what an angel is going to do. And so, I mean, granted, we have the story of the man who, and again, this is going to sound totally crazy to some of you listening. Um, but in reality, you know, I, I used to think this is crazy until a good friend of mine told me a, some stories, you know, about alien abductions. But we have the alien abduction story. Uh, many people are familiar with it now. Um, this man who's probably still considered the kook of the community, you know, he says he was abducted by an alien and he says he was sexually assaulted. Okay. That's kind of a telltale story. Everybody always says that, oh, well, I was taken into a ship. I was anally probed or whatever. Um, but here's the deal. Okay. L.A. Marzulli, who's, you know, very well known for his Nephilim research, his, uh, you know, his archaeology even, um, involved with the Nephilims and the giants and, and, you know, he, he got with the, um, the museum down in Paracas, Peru, and he was able to get some of those red hair samples from a Nephilim giant mummy. And, you know, uh, like I said, you know, most of you probably know this, but the, the guy that said he was abducted by an alien, he said he was sexually assaulted, but he was able to grab a handful of hair out of this thing, at least a couple hairs. I mean, he grabbed the hair and, you know, pulled some out and they ran the test. And what do we find out? That there is a connection between the hair from this alien abduction and the hair of the Paracas, Peru mummy which is clearly a Nephilim descendant. So that right there tells us that there's a connection between the Nephilim and the alien abductions. Um, and that goes right back to the whole alien agenda being demons and fall, you know, the fallen angels and the demons. I mean, in the Nephilim, that's what we've been saying for years. But I, I bring that up to say there are still sexual assaults going on uh, according to people's accounts, you know, being, yeah. being sexually assaulted in a, in a spacecraft. And I know, I mean, look, it sounds out there. I get it, ladies and gentlemen. But what did they say about Elvis? What was it, like two million, two million Elvis fans can't be wrong? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, you know, what, these things happen and happen and happen. And as Christians, we have to take a biblical approach. Um, and, and if you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, oh, this is just absolute, you know, garbage. I would say I don't wish it on you, but maybe you should be abducted and then see if people believe you. You know, how are you going to feel? You know, if you had to go through something like that. And why do you think Christians don't get abducted by aliens? You ever wondered about that, Josh? Yeah. 
you know, a, a born again Christian who's filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, they cannot get abducted by aliens because they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Yep. We've got protection. Yep. And and any time any time that uh, an alien being has tried to mess with a Christian and that Christian is using the name of Jesus, it stops. And that that interestingly enough, that's the one thing that Mufon won't report on. That that there there's like this Mufon cover up. They 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 know they have because rec- you know they they always take the the records of whenever there's an abduction and they call you know Mufon. They they listen to what they say and write everything down and everything. Well, uh, when they get if, if the person says yeah I I stop I was able to stop the abduction by using the name of Jesus, Mufon won't report that. Oh no. And uh, there's a really great uh, research group called uh, CE4 Research. Um, I, uh, the founder is uh, Joe Jordan, whom I, 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 I'm actually going to be interviewing on the sharpening report in, in uh, I think, next week. Um, but uh, they, they, they're, they're set out to expose this, that, that you can stop alien abductions in the name of Jesus. And that's, that's about the only way that you're going to have any hope of, of stopping it. Um, but, yeah, that's why they, they won't. You know, I mean, and there have been Christians that have had sightings and experiences, but if if a Christian uses the name of Jesus, they're they can't they can't touch them. Exactly, and you know, I guess you know we we could uh, why not? Let's just go ahead and jump into this, okay? Yeah. Why not? We're already here. Um, why don't you read the question? Uh, read that particular question from uh, one of our listeners uh, about what happens. Uh, you know, I, I just want to present the question to everyone before I give you know give my answer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. Is that the first question that we got from Carol? I believe that was from Carol. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so Carol wrote in, uh, really enjoyed the show. Uh, I have a question. Many of the things that you guys talk about will soon be showing up on earth. So what would you do if you came face to face with the Nephilim chimera or fallen angel? Uh, and I'll just add in there, you know, alien. Um, I know believers have authority in Jesus' name to cast out demons, but what authority, if any, would we have over other beings that may end up here? Let's go ahead and deal with fallen angels first, okay? Um, because obviously they're going to be at the top of the, you know, of the pyramid. Yeah. Uh, no pun intended, Illuminati pyramid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the fallen angels, first and foremost... The only power you have over the fallen angels is what Josh has already stated, because when we get down to the nitty gritty, uh, a fallen angel, you know, you can't kill one. They're they're spirit beings. They're eternal. Even if they appear to be a human, you cannot kill one. Um, and you're powerless besides the name of Jesus. So and, you know, uh, you know, I love using the name Yeshua. I think it's a beautiful name. But at the end of the day. You know, Jesus, that's, that's what we call, that's what we call Yeshua in English. And I'm not going to get into it with a Hebrew roots person. Um, I don't believe there's a Hebrew revival going on. I think that actually is contrary to the New Testament. Um, but regardless, I'm not going to get on a soapbox there. Um, you don't have to use the name Yeshua. You know, I, I mean, listen, my dad has cast out demons from people using the name Jesus. Yeah, me too. You know, and the name Jesus, that's the name. That's the, you know, that, that's, that's what we have in English. We could get into the whole idea of the letter J. Actually, researchers are saying that J does show up, used to show up in one of the Hebrew alphabets. Man, we could do a whole show on that. I'm not going to get into it. People, well, it's, it's, part, part of it, part of it with me is like, how nitpicky do you think God is? Like, do, do, do they think that, this is what kind of irks me about, you know, the, this whole thing is like, do they think that, okay, somebody, is like laying in bed having sleep paralysis and being like merciless, mer, mer, uh, just <laughs> mercilessly. Attacked. Thank you. That's what I was trying to find. Yeah, attacked by by a demon or, or a fallen angel or something, and uh, the, the 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 person call tries to call out, you know, Jesus, help me. Do you really think that 
God's up there saying, ah, ah, you didn't say Yeshua. Nope. And how, and, and exactly like you said, how does that explain that we can cast demons out in Jesus name? I mean, what is that all just a, a fraud? So we'll keep saying Jesus and then we're not truly saved. Because it's ridiculous. It, it, it is. It's absolutely ridiculous. You know, and, and I'll even take it a step further. You know, even if you're, you know, I, goodness gracious, I love the name Yeshua. I use it. Yeah. You yeah. know, but, but, you know, I'm not going to be dogmatic and chances are, you know, if I get up, if I get up to, to lead prayer in a church, you know, uh, there, there's a good chance that 90% of the people in the church have never heard the name Yeshua before. Uh, yep. You know, people can laugh. They can make, you know, they can say whatever. No, it's true. Okay. Just like there's, there's people in the world that have never heard the gospel who live in America. I, I know it because I've come across people. Okay. Yeah. Now, and, and how do I know? Because I'll go into a gas station and I'll ask somebody if they know who Jesus is. I mean, yep. seriously, you know, people, it's time to start soul winning. You know, everybody you see, if they don't know about Jesus, they're going to hell. Okay. Yeah. Now, okay. Sorry. Enough preaching right now. <laughs> so here's the deal. Okay. The name Jesus, it's just as powerful as the name Yeshua. Um, Cause it's the same God. It's, it's the, the same, same God. You're dealing yeah. with a God who loves you, who's a creator, whose son is the creator. And this is the whole bottom line. We're dealing with a triune God, you know, and, and I've told people, you know, we get to heaven and we find out that there's more elements to God than the, than what we call the Trinity. Hey, great. You know, great. But you know what? I'm going with what the scripture teaches. Yep. Okay. I'm going with what I can see in black and white in the scripture. There's definitely God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. This is, this is not up for debate. And you know, we could really go in and, and debunk the whole oneness doctrine right now, but that's not the point of the show. All I'm saying is that the name of Jesus, if that's what you've been taught, that's what you see in your Bible. That's good enough for me. And I guarantee it's good enough for God because it's the theme and the story of the one and only living God. Absolutely. Yahweh Elohim. I mean, come on. Okay. Anyway, fallen angels, you gotta, you have to rebuke them in the name of Jesus or Yeshua. If you want to use Yeshua, I love the name. Like I said, I love the name Yeshua, yeah. but the name of our savior has to be used to rebuke them. Other than that, you're powerless. Okay. So somebody who's not filled with the Holy ghost, you know, I love this, Josh. Um, when Jesus came to the earth, what was the name? You shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And, and, you know, so we had God with us, okay? But when he went into heaven, we now have God in us, the Holy Amen. Spirit. So I love, I, I just love that. Especially, you know, uh, there's a lot of people out there that, that hate Christmas, you know, and they, they attack Christmas. I worship oh, God, yeah. you know, I worship God 365 days a year and, you know, even more than that. On the, on the leap year or whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, some of you science buffs are going to correct me. I probably said that wrong. But, but you know, here's the deal. I worship God all year long. And, you know, it says in Romans 14 that uh, some are going to regard certain days above other days. And, you know, if somebody wants to say that they're going to celebrate the birth of Christ on December 25th, hey, you know what? Power to them. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got no problem with that. But, you know, it's around this time of year because Christmas is coming up. Uh, and, and, and culturally, we've been taught that that's Jesus's birthday. Now, we know that's not true, yeah. but still, the Christmas story gets told a lot. That's what, you know, the story of Christ's birth is. It's just officially called the Christmas story in American culture. Whether or not we like it or not, that's what it's called. And, you know, we hear about God with us. And we, you know, we really have to start taking a hold of the power that we have in Christ, the power we have that, that God is in us now. You know, he was with us then. But now he's in us. So it's like it's like Christianity version 
Yeah, I, yeah. I love you know you know me, Josh. I'll throw a version 2.0 on anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but yeah, you have to use the name of Messiah. You know, whether you want to say Jesus or Yeshua. Uh, you know, and look, there's like seven versions of Yeshua that people will condemn you for not using the proper oh, form. Yeah. You know, let's just throw that away. If anybody talks like that to you, you know what? Kick the dust off your feet and move on. Uh, you know, first Corinthians, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go there. I was about to take us to, never mind. Sorry. I was about to start preaching. <laughs> we got past the fallen angels. Okay. This is, this is what happens when, when I get on with people like Josh or BDK or, or K Carswell or anybody. I, you know, we, we just, we go into these discussions. <laughs> so, okay. Fallen angels have to be rebuked in the name of Yeshua, the name of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, if you're Spanish, you live in Mexico, rebuke him in the name of Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So now, with that out of the way, let's deal with Nephilim, okay? You can put a bullet in the head of a Nephilim. Let me say that again. You can put a bullet in the head of a Nephilim. Why do I say that, Josh? Because it's true. <laughs> they they are not eternal. The only exactly. thing eternal, they're, they're as eternal as we are. They've got a flesh body that's a multidimensional body, but their body will die. Mm-hmm. You know, it says in the book of Enoch uh, that I believe it's the book of Enoch where the fallen angels mourned the death of the Nephilim. Yeah. So, I mean, look, you see a Nephilim and you know it's demonic and they're coming after you. You treat a, you treat a Nephilim just like you would treat a person breaking into your home. You put a bullet in their head yep. and you just, you know, you hope that, well, there's really no hope in there. You hope they heard the gospel sometimes. <laughs> Boy, I'm gonna well, I'm gonna get man. People are gonna write me and they're like, dude, you are out of your mind. <laughs> well, that, that actually brings an interesting point because uh, people, you know, pe- people often have questions if modern day Nephilim exists, and you know, and I, I believe they do. And then uh, people will ask, do you think that they walk among us and look human? And I I say I don't know, maybe, probably. I you know, I, I have no way to prove that, but I think it's a possibility. And then you say, well, can they get saved? You know, how, how much, uh, how much genetic corruption needs to be there before you can't get saved? Best answer, I don't know. Only God knows. But what's interesting is Jesus said, uh, to go out and preach to every creature. He didn't say person, and you know, it's not like he's expecting us to go and try to evangelize our pets. You know, no, <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, no, I, mean, you know uh, saved. I love my cat to death. I, well, I, I, I mean, <laughs> all dogs go to heaven, right? Just like the cartoon. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh, no, but but no, you're right. Every creature. But but at the end of the day, I mean, look, OK, what's the Hebrew uh, in the Hebrew? One of the words that was used for the, the Nephilim was the nefash, you know, and, yeah. and this is going to sound a little bit, you know, a little Vulgar, probably, if there's some kids listening, but literally a nefash in the Hebrew, it gave the idea of a living abortion, meaning this this creature was aborted, but it was still alive. Yeah. But what does that mean? It means it's unsalvageable. Okay. That means it can't have salvation. Now, when I had Gary Wayne on and we did the, uh, the Nephilim, uh, conspiracy trilogy, and I know his book is not called the Nephilim conspiracy, but I'm creative. Okay. Oh, I do that with my titles too. You know, and yeah. so that's what I did, and I did that with the show with you as well. You know, I mean, I, I, I loved that title, by the way. I was really impressed by that. Oh, right. yeah, you know, I made up my own words. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, but that, I, I've done a ton of interviews, and I think that was the most ingenious title I, I, I've ever read or heard. Like, I was like, man, 
That would be a cool title for a book. Like that, that's awesome. Well, you know, hey, you know what? If you want it, just give me credit. No. <laughs> <laughs> but but okay. So you know, the idea is uh, there was a young lady, and I'm glad you brought this up, man. You really you brought up a great topic. Um, there's a young lady uh, on Facebook who she commented on this show that I did, one of the shows I did with Gary. And, you know, Gary's a historian. I, I got to say, Gary Wayne, man, I love Gary Wayne. And, I mean, he really, he really threw down the gauntlet with his book. And, you know, I, um, I'll get to that in a minute. But, but Gary's a historian. You know, over 30 years he's put into researching before he wrote this book. So, I mean, people, people are going to, you know, they're going to hate, you know, with the old saying, haters going to hate. Um, haters are going to hate. But Gary did a great job. And Gary really brought some wisdom. Uh, you know, Gary, if somebody tags him in a post, Man, he's quick to comment. I mean, and he's oh, yeah. a, he's a busy dude. He's like a CEO of like a big time company. Okay. He travels constantly with work. He makes time for me and Josh. He makes time to do radio shows. He makes time to answer questions. So I just got to give Gary Wayne props real quick. But here's the thing, you know, this, this young lady, she said, you know, I, I, almost everybody from the area that I'm in, and I don't know if it was Eastern Europe or, you know, if it was just Europe as a whole, I don't know. Um, but it was a pretty big group. She said, you know, almost everyone that lives here, who originated in this area, we all have ties. Was it to Charlemagne or to somebody? I don't remember, but someone of no, uh, Nephilim nobility bloodline. And she was concerned because of something that I said in the show about Nephilim can't get saved. And she's thinking, well, I'm part Nephilim. Okay. Now look, yes, there are Nephilim today. I believe it. The Bible never tells us that it stopped. Yep. Okay. Never once does it say it stopped. It's kind of like the spiritual gifts, Josh, you know, and, and forgive me if I offend somebody listening right now. I, I, I come from a Baptist background. Okay, there's a lot of cessationists in the Baptist church. They oh, believe yeah. that the spiritual gifts just stopped. Um, no, the Bible doesn't say the spiritual gifts stopped. Um, right. You know, now I'm not going to get into a debate on the real gifts versus the counterfeit gifts because we have the hyper charismatics today with the counterfeits. Oh, yeah. um, but the true spiritual gifts, they never ended. Bible doesn't say they ended. The Bible doesn't say the Nephilim stopped. So we got to be real careful, you know, with this whole rationalist movement in the church to say, well, that ended back here. You know, yeah. I, I was talking to a guy, uh, I was at a Bible study group for this church that I'll never go back to probably, but this is, this was, you know, uh, about a year ago. I'm, I'm in this guy's home and I brought up the Nephilim. He asked what I talk about on the fourth watch. And I said, I don't know if you're ready for the fourth watch going by the conversation that you had tonight in your Bible study. And he goes, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> and I said, I'm just saying, based on what you guys are talking about, I don't think you would enjoy my show. And, uh, you know, they were they were getting into Chris Lom. And, um, and and let me tell you, that was my first time in a Bible study, bro, with these people. And it was my last. But yeah. I stood up. I was the I was a stranger there. I'm in a room of like 15 strangers. They're getting into Chris Lom, and boy, I I stood up and I said, "Let me just break some questions out." I, and I did it lovingly, but boy, you could tell those people did not like me. Yeah, they looked at me like I didn't know what I was talking about. I said, "Look, I you know, okay, I'm tangent. Sorry, I'm not going to go there." Point is, I told them about Genesis six, told them about the Nephilim. He goes, "Oh, they all stopped at the flood," and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> I was like, "What does it say in Genesis?" I said, "You know, first of all, Genesis was written after the fact." Yep. And that's how it was able to say there were giants in the earth in those days and after yep. when the sons of God came into the daughters of men. Now, that tells us two things, Josh. That tells us, first of all, that there was sexual involvement before the flood, but it also says that there was sexual involvement after the flood. 
So we have to really step back and say that there's probably still sexual involvement going on. Uh, this has been validated in some of the alien abduction cases. Oh, yeah. um, but also, uh, I'm with you. I think we've got other technology now that's pushing the, the hybridization, uh, which we see in the UK. They've got the chimera embryos that are legally protected by parliament. Uh, I covered this uh, back in the show I did with JC Johnson. But, you know, the Nephilim never stopped. Bible doesn't say they did. So if it says something was going on and it says it was going to go on then and later, then we have to just trust the Bible that there are Nephilim today. But if you are a watered down descendant, back to the question, if you are so far down the line that, you know, maybe like your great, 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 great grandfather was like a seventh or eighth generation Nephilim, you know, let me just make it real easy for you. If you accept Jesus Christ, as your personal Lord and Savior, you repent of your sins, accept that you're a sinner, and, and, and accept the fact that you need a Savior to pay for those sins. That's evidence right there that you can be saved. Yep. That's as simple as that. And you say, well, how could you make such a bold statement? You know, what if a Nephilim, you know, forget that for a second. Look at how many people mock Christ. Look at how many people deny the gospel. If anybody has a desire to come to Christ, that's a sign that they can be saved. Absolutely. So what I have to say is that the people who don't want to get saved, am I saying that they're all Nephilim? No. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is that the people, you know, that, that I believe if there's a certain percentage of Nephilim where they're not salvageable, they won't they won't want to get saved because they can't get saved. You, yeah, you, they you won't follow even me? Have the desire. Exactly. So, um, you know, if somebody's out there and they think, oh, you know, I, I you know, I thought I was saved, but I just found out that I come from this bloodline and there might have been some Nephilim in the blood. Hey, forget it. If you've got the desire to follow Christ, what is it? What does John three sixteen say? Whosoever yep. believeth on Him. So anyway, so, okay, so we got the, the fallen angels, you got to rebuke them in Jesus name. The Nephilim, you can kill them. I, I'm just going to say this. I'm not, I'm not telling people to go do this, but I got some emails. I, I'm just telling you guys, I, this is not me talking here. I'm telling you what the emails that I got. I had several people write me. If you're listening and one of this, this is you, you'll know that you weren't the only one. I've had several people write me and say, is it open season to hunt Nephilim? Because God hated them in the Old Testament. He still hates them today. They can't get saved. So can we hunt them? Well, I don't think it's fruitful, first of all. And I think it's dangerous. And because you can, you can never be sure that, and that's the, you know, when, in, I don't mean to, I don't mean to cut you off. No, please, but, you know, please, please. I, I need you to take, take the mic yeah, on this. When that, in the, what they're referring to in the, in the Old Testament, that was, God told them who those people were to, to yeah. take out. God's not telling anybody right now, okay, go take out – because we, we would need God's direction uh, to know who is and who isn't. You know, Otherwise, we're left to our own intuitions. Exactly. I'm not, just, I'm not just talking about people that say, well, I have a feeling from the Lord. You, you, and, I, and I'm not saying that God can't talk to people today because he definitely does. But there's nowhere now that that somebody could point to that says that, that – that, that's okay for us to do now because we, we just, we don't know. So what, but what it does say, going back to preach to, you know, preach the gospel to every creature, um, since, because we don't know. And, and I mean, even if we did, even if we knew that they were say like 10% or 50%, we don't know what the percentage is of where it's okay and where it's not. You know, we don't know what the percentage is where it's salv- salvageable and where it's not. We just know that 
there are unsalvageable and there are salvageable. But That's if you see if you see somebody and this just goes back to the idea if you get attacked physically by oh, any yeah, by anybody, yourself. yeah, go ahead and defend yourself. I mean, look. You know, I, I looking for trouble. Exactly. <laughs> I I live in a state where it's open carry. Okay? I love it. Yeah. I, you know, if I see somebody carrying a gun on their hip, I'm like, praise God. Yeah. You know, I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. That's America right there. So just basically, you know, don't don't go and try to hunt Nephilim. It's it, it's it's way too dangerous. And uh, th- th- that's going il- illegit- il- uh, illegitimize <laughs> everything that we are uh, trying to uh, expose in the enemy, because like, let's say one radical went out and shot somebody because he thought he was a Nephilim. And then that's what he, you know, that's what he told people. That, that guy was a Nephilim. And uh, now all of a sudden there's this tragedy in America. And now people, yeah, maybe, maybe now they know what Nephilim means, but how are they going to look at it? They're going to look at the rest of us like radicals. Well, exactly. Not, it's it, just it's like, gonna, <laughs> it'll destroy everything that we're trying to do. So don't, I mean, if you get attacked, human or Nephilim, it doesn't matter. If you get attacked, defend yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, because you don't know what it is. You just know you're defending yourself. Exactly. But don't go looking for, don't go looking for trouble. There's nowhere in the Bible that, that, uh, tells us to go and, and, and look for trouble like that. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think we're in agreement there. If we are correct on the modern day Nephilim being able to blend in with society, at least some of them, you'll never know. You know, just because yep. you see somebody's eyes shapeshift on television, like I saw John McCain's on live television, yeah. you know, I still, you know, come on, let's just get real. If there's Nephilim in power, they're protected by the government, mm-hmm. especially if we're dealing with a government that's in cahoots with Satan and his army. So come on, let's just get real. Yeah. Okay. Now, moving on. Aliens. An alien could either be a fallen angel, a physical manifestation of a demon appearing to be an alien. It can be a biological meat suit. Uh, which people said were created in the 80s uh, to look like gray aliens, okay? Or yeah. it could be a Nephilim. So really, when you're dealing with an alien, your best bet is to start by rebuking it in Jesus' name. Uh, if something appears to you to look like an alien, because you know it's not, it's not you know, a little green man, so you got to just treat it like spiritual warfare. Rebuke it first. If it still continues to get physical with you, um, kill it. Yeah. Simple as that. Because a fallen angel has to turn away. A demon has to turn away. When you, you know, now a human being doesn't have to turn away because they're in a fallen world and they're a fallen creature, not a spirit being, but they're a fallen creature. Now, again, I'm not challenging anybody here. I'm just making a point that if somebody's trying to mug you and you rebuke them in Jesus name, chances are they're still going to be there trying to mug you. Yeah. Um, Unless God call you know, God sends down, you know, a bear to maul them kind of like Elisha. Yeah. <laughs> Remember the story of Elisha? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love that story where those kids were making fun of him, calling him a ball head. And what does he do? He calls <laughs> he calls a she-bear, a mother bear, probably, you know, a mother bear is like the one you don't want to mess with, okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you see a mother bear, you run and you pray. Yep. Or else you will be the prey. <laughs> but, but you know, uh, okay, so we've dealt with the fallen angel. We've dealt with a Nephilim. We've dealt with the aliens. Because, again, ladies and gentlemen, an alien is an umbrella of what could be five different things. Okay, now yeah. let's talk about a chimera. They can be killed. Yep. Why? Because they are mixed. You know, literally you're dealing with, and for for those of you who are going to say, no, there's no such thing as a chimera. And I'm going to be honest with you. Um, uh, you know, a really good friend of mine, Doc Marquis, he and I had a discussion last year off the record. But when I saw off the record, it wasn't secret. It was just not on the air. He, you know, he told me he doesn't believe, he says it's impossible for human and animal hybrids to be created. He says the, the, the genes won't mix. Well, 
we now know that that's not true. Mm-hmm. You know, and Doc, you know, Doc would tell you the same thing. If, if I presented the, the medical information, you know, to him, he would say the same thing. And, you know, now I'm going to have to tell him because I've mentioned it on the show. But <laughs> they've proven in the UK they're doing this. Oh, yeah, they've been doing that for years. Exactly. And I knew I knew back then, but I didn't have it in front of me. And with Doc Marquis, I've got to be able to present evidence to him if I want to change his mind on something. And that's how I am, too. You know, um, Doc's a researcher just like all of us. So, you know, we got to be able to present and back up our information. Well, I'll tell you right now, the BBC has covered this. The parliament voted to support this uh, years ago. So they are creating chimeras. That's actually an official name that they're using, chimera embryos. I'm not making this up. It's not science fiction. This is right out of the BBC documenting their science department. Yeah, they have they have glow in the dark pigs and spider goats. I mean, these are real, real things. Okay, okay, wait a minute. Anybody out there listening who wants to do something for me for Christmas? Any last minute gift ideas? Get me a glow in the dark spider goat. <laughs> oh, I love it, dude. I love it, man. Oh, goodness. Okay, so, you know, chimeras can be killed. Um, now, let's let's kind of examine the whole Bigfoot um, Sasquatch phenomenon because obviously, you know, most of the pictures we see are total garbage. They're fakes. They're laughable. But the idea now, uh, Chad Riley made a, uh, you know, Chad Riley emailed me and sent me some information. It's just mind blowing, really. Um, references to the Book of Yasher. And I think he said that uh, Sarah Brown yeah. had showed him this information. The Book of Yasher. And ladies and gentlemen, this is quoted in our Old Testament. It's kind of like a Chronicles. Uh, you know, literally, it's like a, it's like a Third Chronicles. <laughs> yeah. I so know exactly what I know exactly where you're going with this. It's one of my favorite verses because it's so weird. But uh, go, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Okay, now, again, one thing as Christians, when we go to read a passage in Scripture or in any book for that matter, because this this is not in our canonized Bible, this is in the book of Yasher, um, but what we have to do is we have to look at it and say, what is it saying and what is the context, okay? Uh, Those are very important things to understand, the context. Is it literal? Is it figurative? The the text ought to be able to, you know, explain itself. So um, this is interesting. And um, I'm just going to read this from Chad, uh, Chad Riley's email. He said also, uh, you know, Sarah Brown, because Sarah Brown uh, had asked a question uh, for the show we did on the Sharpening Report and uh, about my my take on Bigfoot like creatures. OK, and if you have not seen the Sharpening Report, I said I believe that they can either be a chimera, some kind of a hybrid creature. Um, but I tend to believe that they're either a physical manifestation of a spirit being a shape shifted fallen angel or a Nephilim. Because yep. you'll see footprints, you'll be chasing one, and then, boom, it'll disappear. Where did it go? The footprints just stopped. So sorry to repeat that if you've already listened to the show with uh, with Josh Peck on the Sharpening Report. But Sarah Brown asked that question. And so Chad Riley says, okay, about Sarah Brown's question about Bigfoot, he said Sarah and he have been having some good conversations about this. And Sarah Brown pointed out in the book of Yasher concerning the Tower of Babel. And it says, in the Lord smote the three divisions that were there. And he punished them according to their works and designs. Those who said we will ascend to heaven and serve our gods became like apes and elephants. I'm just going to say it like this. This book is quoted in, what is it, Joshua? Yep. But the way that this book is quoted in our Bible, it's not like, oh, and by the way, the book of Yasher says this. No, no. Let, Let me just break this down for you, okay? When the book of Yasher is quoted, it's actually said like a rebuke. It's like... Didn't you know the book of Yasher said this, this, and this? Yep. So what we know is that the book of Yasher was considered canon by the Hebrews in those days. 
Yeah. There's no other way to look at it. So, um, you know, if you don't like me saying that, ladies and gentlemen, hey, take it up with God because it's in his word. So now what does that mean? Okay. What does it mean that, and again, we know the Tower of Babel people were rising up against God. They were trying to be their own gods. They were trying to, um, you know, many very valid people believe that they were doing transgenics. Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've even got the story of Nimrod becoming, a lot of people believe Nimrod became a Nephilim with technology, yeah. a Geborum. So what does it mean? These, some of the men said that they were going to ascend into heaven. To serve their gods. Okay, of course they're saying they're, they're saying we're going to ascend into heaven and we're going to worship the fallen angels. And what did it say here in the book of Yasher? It says they became like apes and elephants. Now, what's interesting is that you know, and Sarah again, this is coming right out of Sarah Brown's research, and and you know, again, I'm not saying that you know, I'm sure other people have said this, but this is coming from her. Okay, um, so I want to give her credit. She talked about the Hindu elephant god and the monkey god. Yep. So what? Just what do you want to? I'm sure you got something to say, man. I've been hogging the mic. What do you got to say oh, about no, that? Oh no, you're fine. It's your show. Yeah, you're, no, you're fine. But yeah, I, uh, I, I, I wondered uh, when, when I first came across that. Oh, maybe two years ago or so. I, I, it's, it's been a little while. But when I first came across that, I wondered if it was figurative. But I, I think, and I think that most people that would read that would assume it's figurative. Um, but. I, I don't believe it is because it gives no explanation after that. Usually, if if something's figurative, it's explained somewhere. You know, there, there'll be like it, it would say something like, you know, they became as elephants and apes uh, in their disposition, or you know, it would explain that. But th- this, it doesn't. It just stops cold right there. No, no more information is given. Well, let's let's even go further though. If they're made like an ape. Mm-hmm. They're not a co- they're not totally apes, but they could be cursed. I, I, again, I don't want to I don't want to ma- make it say something it doesn't say. Yeah, that's yeah. the last thing I want to do. All I'm doing is telling you what it says, and then I, you know, and then I'll have to say what you know, connecting the dots to the some of the gods in, in Hinduism, which we have to believe in the Hindu religion. I mean, just you go over to India, you're, there's some they've got a crazy history of supernatural events taking place. Oh yeah, they've got gods that have appeared to people. Okay, they have children born with multiple limbs. That's happened in my lifetime. And they worship the little girl. Okay, so again, we're dealing, just an interesting thing. If you see a Bigfoot, you know, run. Okay, don't, don't, don't throw beef jerky at it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, that's Sasquatch. Sorry. (laughs) Meryl Metzger uh, out in California. He said he wanted to go hunt down some Bigfoot. And hey, look, I get it. It's adventurous. You want to go, you want to go find one of these things and you want to kill it and get it stuffed? I couldn't think of a more, uh, just, you talk about starting a conversation, you have a party, you invite people over for a barbecue and you got a stuffed Bigfoot in your living room. I'd say that would start <laughs> some conversation. But like I told Meryl, I don't think it's safe. But then on the other hand, if they can jump dimensions, not only can they hurt you, but they can just they can disappear before you catch them. So, yeah. you know, Marco Polo uh, wrote in his diary about the, the island off of uh, the coast of India or China. I forget which uh, which one, but he said it was an island full of dog human hybrids. Oh, yeah. You know, and now this one, um, I'll be honest with you guys. When J.C. Johnson mentioned that on the fourth watch, I, I, I wanted to delete it, to be honest with you. I didn't even want to leave it in. But I trust J.C., so what do I do? Instead of instead of just denying it and, and deleting it, I, I did a little Google search, and I even went to the Smithsonian. They validated the story they validated that uh that marco polo did write about that in his journal now of course the smithsonian says well you know marco polo was a fibber you know he, he was a <laughs> fibber um well okay well you know what so many years ago he wasn't called a fibber so many years ago he was called a great 
uh, explorer. So I don't know. You know, Mar- the Smithsonian, we're dealing with the same group of people that has lied about the Nephilim. They've lied about yeah. the giants. They try to cover up all the giants, uh, uh, you know, the American history giants. So, okay, so we've covered the, what to do in those situations. Um, now, let, let's let's kind of go back to the genetics real quick, Josh. They were creating giants back then. Now, you you believe that their DNA, because it was extra-dimensional DNA blended with Earth DNA, that's why you believe that they grew to be giants, correct? Yeah, yeah. So what does that mean for today? Because today, we're lucky if we see a seven-foot person. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, what, I, I, you know, I, just, I just want your take on this. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems like the direct copulation between angel and human, the that problem of uh, gigantism is is unavoidable um, when it's just direct, you know. But I, I would, it, it it would also seem that angel genes could carry traits not normally found in humans. The, you know, those could be any number of what we would consider superhuman um, abilities. So. You can just look at the ancient demigods. Uh, that would give us an, an idea of what some of those traits might be. So perhaps these alien entities that are still trying to hybridize themselves with humans, uh, maybe they're trying to suppress the problematic genes like gigantism, you know, because that's not going to – I mean, if they're trying to blend with us in a way that we're not going to realize, you, you can't have big – 12, 15 footers out there. It's too obvious. Well, there would be no society. I mean, literally, we would not have societies if that were the case. Exactly. But so I think that they're trying to suppress those and that's why they're not doing, you know, they're not taking the direct approach anymore. Um, And it's it's more scientific. Uh, But I, I think that they might be trying to bring out the more favorable genes. And these are just extra, you know, what would be present in an extra dimensional being. Uh, like like uh, telepathy and telekinesis, or e- even a uh, interdimen- interdimensional travel. Um, that that could be an ability that's an, an extra dimensional ability. Uh, so all that might culminate in in these extra dimensional beings perfecting their original plan from the ancient past and unleashing it on our unsuspecting, unbelieving, you know, modern world. And also, what's interesting to think about is is back then. It was whoever was the strongest was the one that won. You know, whoever was the the strongest nation is the one that ruled the world. But now it's whoever is, is the smartest it has nothing to do with physical strength anymore. It's whoever can develop the best technology or who can. You know, it's it, it's all based around the mind instead of uh, just brute force. So I, I think that's why we don't see uh, you know these these big giants anymore because it's it, it wouldn't uh, it, it doesn't fit into their cause anymore because we live in a modern world now um but we do see uh the the few people that have reported hybrids um even when they look just like us they they have something uh some extra thing that you know that they can do that we can't you know like i said like telekinesis or you know just just weird things like that so i i think i think and, and of course, is all spe- everything I've said on this program is 100% speculative. So, uh, so that, you know, take it for what it's worth. But I, I think that might be why we don't see actual physical giants uh, like what was recorded in the in, in the ancient past anymore. I mean, and again, you know, going back to uh, and we got to be we have to be careful and we have to exercise caution when we go back to the ideas of 
looking at other texts. We might reference certain texts, but that's not where we get our doctrine. But we can yeah. we can look at what they're saying about what was going on in the same time frame. Yeah, it's history. Exactly. Yeah. I won't even call them pseudographical texts. I'll call them other religious texts, but we're just seeing what they said, what their account of history was. And what's interesting is that uh, even though they were worshiping other gods, their account of history is, is it's pretty much a parallel to what we read in the Bible historically, not obviously not religiously, but historically. So yeah. um, I just I have to say, you know, like with Karen Hughes, people don't like Karen Hughes. I get it. I don't trust her. Do I think she's a shill of the New World Order? Yes, I do. OK, she worked for the World Bank. And uh, she was in the legal department, and she's now a whistleblower, which I don't really know if she's a real whistleblower, but I, I tend to think she is, you know, probably a, a plant working for the for the enemy. Um, but she said that the Vatican has these creatures; they're called uh, Homo capensis. That's the atheist word for them. Um, but she says that there there's a race of beings that are being held underground at the Vatican with elongated skulls. Now, the elongated skulls is a telltale sign of Nephilim genetics. We know this, but are they giants? No. So even though we have physical deformities in some of the modern Nephilim, they're still not giants. And yep. if we go back to some of the other texts, uh, you know, some of these historical texts, what we're, what we're dealing with here is first-generation Nephilim would have had reptilian qualities. 50% seraphim, 50% yeah. human. You know, we're dealing with an angel that generally has uh, serpentine qualities. You know, we, we look at some of the videos in Peru of these these giant skulls being examined and their jaws are detachable like a viper or a snake's jaw. Wow. I mean, we're dealing with some pretty wild stuff. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, again, we're dealing with the same agenda but a different program a different program of how it's being executed so you know i, I do lean towards the, the avatar technology now i think that we're now dealing with creating the chimeras and the hybrids in the labs but i mean like like we said the the alien abduction situation and just one other quick thing about the alien abduction you know with the hair from the hybrid that was taken they compared the hair to the human to the human hair and then they compared the hair to a nephilim hair from the mummy and the human hair was nowhere near it. Human hair was like off in its own little world, right? But we have a direct connection between the quote-unquote alien and the giant mummy from Paracas, Peru. But now, moving into the Bigfoot one more time, there's a connection with the Bigfoot in all of this. For those of you who say Bigfoot, you know, it's just a myth. Um, most of the Bigfoot information is misinformation. I want to be very clear about that. But they've taken hairs Bigfoot hunters have found hairs of a, of a Bigfoot and they've put them into the mix and they are right in line with the alien abduction hairs. Now I'm just, I'm throwing it out there cause this is, this is crazy stuff. And JC Johnson even mentioned a DNA test on their sample hairs and they've got, they've got DNA of a human and they've got DNA of an animal. Yeah. So you fill in the blanks. I just think that's mind blowing. And, yeah, me too. You know, Absolutely. And, and as a Christian, how are we going to deal with this? Say, okay, well, the only possible scenario is it goes back to the fallen angels. Mm -hmm. So I know we don't have a lot more time to talk, but goodness, we talked about so much stuff tonight. And uh, I, but I kind of want to just get a couple more things. Um, this is going to be speculation. So let me get that out of the way first. Are you along the? Are you in the camp that believes that our politicians, our modern day Nephilim, our kings and our queens of the world are still the modern day Nephilim? Um, watered down versions while the, the pure blood are behind the scenes. What are your thoughts? Whether they actually are or not, I have no idea, but I do believe that they believe they are, and they very well could be. Um, 
but uh, you know, as as far as knowing for sure, you know, I, I have no idea. But I I do believe that they believe it. Uh, they they believe that's where they come from, and, and they might be right. I mean, they very they very well could be. Uh, I I don't uh, again going back to the whole salvation. I don't think that that necessarily means that they can't get saved uh, if if they wanted to. But you know, I I, I wouldn't hold my breath on waiting for that to happen. Uh, so you know that that's kind of my thought. I I think I think it could be. It's nothing that I'm gonna uh like fully you know, jump headfirst into and say that it definitely has to be that way. You know, I, I think it's possible, but I, I do, I, I think that there's more than enough evidence of some of the things that they've been reported as saying and, you know, that most, if not all of them, at least have some knowledge of it and and uh, believe that about themselves. Uh, what, what, what do you think? Uh, well, I mean, I'll, I'll say this. First, of, first and foremost, I have to say Fritz Springmeier has been debunked, okay? His whole idea of 13 bloodlines of the Illuminati, that's been debunked. Matter of fact, I'm working on a program. Uh, hopefully, I'll have a program to kind of come in and, and break out the real information about the bloodlines. Um, but the whole 13 bloodline thing, no, that cannot be validated anymore. And I, I say that because I think there's a lot more bloodlines. But but why is it that the elite always want to interbreed? You have to be royalty to marry royalty. And you, you can call it a rumor, but that's that's how it happens. So I only say that to answer your question because I think that uh, I think that it is Nephilim nobility that are the that are the kings and the rulers of this world. Um, in the and during the tribulation, what does it say that, that the kings of this world are going to give power to the Antichrist? They're they're going to submit yep. to him, and I think it's very possible that those kings of this world are going to be his own blood, the Nephilim. So yeah, I think it's I, I do I think that that I can't say a blanket statement. I can't say every leader everywhere in the world is a Nephilim, but yeah. I believe that we're dealing with watered down bloodlines. Absolutely. You know? And, you know, like you said, we know they believe they are, but do we believe it? I think it's possible. I think the, the, the more pure bloods of the Nephilims, I think they're behind the scenes. I just said the Nephilims. There, there's no, <laughs> but the, the, the pure blood, the, the Nephilim that are, that are, you know, more pure, I believe that they're behind the scenes, you know, puppet mastering. And I think the, the people we see on the scene, like the, the Obamas and the Bushes and the, the McCains, um, you know, and that's just talking America. You go to the UK and you're dealing with some major inbred. But yeah. yeah, I believe that they're the, the, the watered down. I think that they've groomed them down to be the leaders. Or to be the puppets, to be the spotlight leaders. That's what I think. So I think the spotlight leaders, yeah, they're, they're watered down Nephilim, uh, descendants. And then I believe that the, the more pure ones are behind the scenes. So that's just my opinion, but I, I believe that that's accurate, you know, yeah. based on history. Absolutely. But some people aren't going to agree with me and that's cool. We don't, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's my opinion. But we had giants in the earth in those days and they were dealing with the Old Testament. We, we saw the giants. Uh, I think now we're dealing with a different type of breeding program. And I think that, you know, we're dealing with a lot of science. I think that, you know, we're dealing with fallen angel technology that's even better than it was back then, possibly. Yeah. And because keep in mind, the fallen angels don't have the knowledge of God. They have the exactly. knowledge of heaven, but they don't have the knowledge of God. And so what does that mean? That even because they're created beings, they're still getting better and better and better at what they're doing. There's so much that we don't know, and we won't know until it starts to happen. But praise God, that's what we like about prophecy is that, that like we said in the Sharpening Report, the more that's happening in the world, the more we understand prophecy. Absolutely. We had a couple other things that we need to cover real quick. I had made a statement uh, that got misunderstood by a listener on YouTube, 
and uh, I believe her name was Lily. And she thought I made she she misunderstood me in in the sharpening report to say that there was no you know covenant no agreement that gets broken during the tribulation. What I was saying was that there's not going to be a peace treaty that's going to let everyone know the tribulation started. Okay, yeah. what I was saying was that the official revealing, okay, the peace treaty won't be a revealing. The revealing is going to be the abomination of desolation. I think Scripture is emphatically clear about that. You know, you're, you've got Daniel was it nine. 11 and 12, I might be missing. I think it's 9, 11 and 12 in Daniel, Matthew 24 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. So, you know, I, I think you put those together, you get a very clear understanding that abomination of desolation, that is where the Antichrist is revealed, which before then people will only be speculating. So, you know, we've had peace treaties, many peace treaties have been created and broken. Um, I, that To me, that will not be the sign, that won't be the revealing, but the Bible literally says the man of sin will be revealed when he stands up and declares to be God. So that's what I was saying. I want to get that cleared up. Um, I really appreciate all the comments. We had a lot of great comments. Matter of fact, I still have some that I need to go back and respond to. Um, what were the other questions, Josh? We'll go ahead and close out with these questions. Sure. Uh Ben wrote in, uh, I just finished listening, and wow, this was a great show, Josh and Justin. You covered a lot in two hours. You guys did miss my question, which may be for the best, as it's a bit of a rabbit trail that might have added another 20 minutes to the show. <laughs> I, I'm curious if you're, of your thoughts, though, if weather modification, global warming, etc., could be a result of terraforming experience or experiments. Uh, thanks again, and uh, thanks again for a great show. You want to take this? Uh, I, I haven't done as much research into this, but I, I do believe that some of it um, could be caused by some of the, you know, some things that humans are, are experimenting with. Uh, the, the, I, I haven't done extensive study into stuff like harp and chemtrails and all that, but the little the little bit that I pick up along the way further convinces me that that's going on. I, I don't think that's all of it, but I, I do think that it, it, it's at least the piece Um and I, I think that uh, that c- there could be a case. Somebody could argue the case that it's prophetic, you know, because uh, we're told that all these, you know, uh, more and more uh, really extreme weather uh, patterns are supposed to happen in the last days. So, um, but yeah, I, I I I think that human interaction probably has uh, at least a part of that, and, and why things are getting so bad. And maybe even a, a, a significant part. Um, I, I don't think that's all of it, but uh, I, I do think that there's uh, there could be a, a case to be made that uh, we're messing with things we shouldn't, and it's it's really messing up the weather. So yeah. Now that that's Ben Bricker, correct? Yes. Okay, Ben. Yeah. Now, Ben, let me say one other thing really quick. Um, you mentioned colonizing Mars um, or uh, terraforming Mars. I think that's what they're working on. And I and I personally think the movie that they just came out with called The Martian, uh, I think that that was a conditioning stunt to condition us that they're doing things on Mars. Okay. I'm going to get it out there. Um, I think they telegraphed their punches. I, I think that the powers to be uh, you know, the, the, the puppet masters of the world that are working for Satan. I believe that they put certain movies out there as enjoyable as the movies are. Okay. I liked uh, goodness gracious. I thought the Martian was awesome, but it was 110% propaganda. Okay. Yeah. I loved avatar. Okay. Propaganda. You know, I could go on and on and on about movies that I enjoyed, but they're propaganda. So, uh, the Martian, I believe was propaganda uh, for the idea that we're working on Mars. 
So what do they do? They give you a little bit of good, a little bit of bad. And we saw the guy almost die. Sorry if that's a spoiler alert. Matt Damon doesn't die. He gets brought home. Sorry if you haven't seen it. Okay. Um, but you know, I, um, I think that the, the stuff that's going on, uh, you know, you want to know if it's possible that global warming, weather weapons, chemtrails, severity of weather. Do I think it's, you know, the result of, of the, the terraforming? There's no telling. There's a lot of uh, technology that we're using. Some good, some good technology, some bad. And I think that technology is going to have its results. You know, it's going to have its side effects. So I think it's important that we realize that even things that, I mean, look, uh, what is it? The contrails, I believe, uh, where they're spraying the aluminum oxide gas. And what it's doing, it's like creating a network of communication. Okay. It's like connecting the satellites, basically. That's what they tell us. So yeah. it's possible that without contrails, we would not get the same cell coverage. I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, look, I mean, we complain about a lot of things, but the technology that we're used to, the technology that we take for granted has its side effects. Right. You know, I just want to throw that out there. But yeah, I think I think it is very possible, Ben. Was there anybody else that, that had brought up uh, brought up a question, Josh? Yep, one more and it's uh it's a pretty simple straightforward one. Uh Serena asks uh or, or writes in good interview next time I will know what types of questions I can ask. Oh, and I just want to, you know, so you can ask anything. Uh so for for the sharpening <laughs> report, there there's no types that are okay and some that aren't. Uh so ask ask whatever you'd like. But uh uh, she wrote, uh, I do have a friend that wanted to know if anyone else had experienced seeing 18-inch hairless red creatures. I'll keep my eye out for future shows with guests that may have heard of this experience before. To me, it doesn't matter how these demonic spirits manifest because we know how to make them leave and call for massive backup, too. Uh, thank you, Jesus. So it's a it's an interesting question. The, the closest thing I've heard to that is when... Uh, when I had J.C. Johnson on uh, on the Sharpening Report, and he talked about the little people, and uh, Sarah Brown talked a little bit about that, too, when she was on. Um, I haven't really heard anything specifically about 18-inch hairless red creatures, uh, so that, that would be my answer. <laughs> well, I tell you, I mean, if, um, you know, when we're dealing with 18-inch creatures, I would prefer mine to be hairless. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I just want to say that all these things... These are the things that are going to get worse and get worse and get worse. Why do I say that as a Christian? Because I think that Christians need to be prepared for these things. You know, whether or not we're going to live through the tribulation, you know, we could debate that all day long. Um, I don't want to waste my time, but I want to tell you that we got to be prepared. Whether we're going to be here or whether we're not, you know, absolutely, we have to be prepared. Like I said in the Sharpening Report, nations have risen and fallen and the tribulation hasn't started yet. Right. So we've got to be prepared, but the most important thing you can do is be spiritually prepared. You got to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You got to know that he's the only way to the Father. You have to know that there are spiritual gifts for warfare mentioned in the scripture. We have a spiritual armor that we are supposed to be putting on. We have the word of God to live by. So, you know, God is our protector. And like I said, and again, you know, I know that we spent two hours talking about stuff on the sharpening report. And then I gave just kind of a little closer uh, about your decisions and protection by God. But this is very serious. God will protect you as a Christian. But when you start making poor decisions, you start living in sin, you start doing this, that or the other, you know, that hedge of protection gets pulled off. So you can't expect to be actively uh, involved in deliverance and casting demons off of people or out of people, either way, if you're living in sin. God's not going to use you if you're so engulfed in sin that you're not in, in fellowship with God. Because you know what? Sin and righteousness cannot have any fellowship. So again, Absolutely. you know, I, I'm not here to, to point fingers at people. I'm here to encourage you that you can have protection from all the stuff we talked about tonight. 
some of you are listening to this show and you're like, well, I'm just listening for entertainment purposes. I don't believe in any of this stuff, but it's, it's interesting. Just because you don't believe it doesn't make it fake. You know, your yep. belief system is not going to change the reality of what's going on in the spiritual realm. So, you know, it's time to start getting equipped, you know, time to start reading your Bibles. And, and I got to say thank you, everybody who wrote questions. Thank you, everybody who commented on the video, the sharpening report. If you haven't checked it out, it is on Josh Peck's YouTube channel. Can you tell them what episode that was real quick, Josh? Absolutely. It was zero uh, nine. Four or was it nine five? Oh boy, you're killing me, Josh. <laughs> Give me two seconds, I will find that. It is nine four. TSR zero nine four. Uh, you can even just go to YouTube and put in Josh Peck, Justin Fall, uh, because there's another episode that you were on too that I think I think you did a great job and it was a great episode. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and uh, if if people listening, if you haven't already, subscribe to my channel. You're gonna you're gonna find a lot of stuff to. Uh, keep your mind occupied, which is good. Awesome. Well, ladies and gentlemen, once again, that is ministudyministry.com. Ministudyministry.com. Check it out. Josh has all his resources there. He's got links to get his books. He's got other people's books on there. Really good stuff. Uh, you know, he's got an about Josh page. Learn a little bit about Josh and his family. Uh, he's got links to the videos and he also does audio, po- uh, audio podcasting now as well. If I'm not mistaken, didn't you say yep. you're doing that on iTunes again? Uh, yeah, yeah. So you can do the audio version or the video version of Josh's show. Unfortunately, Josh doesn't have a regular schedule. Um, sometimes he does more shows than others uh, of the Sharpening Report, but you do daily videos on YouTube covering random topics, really cool stuff. So uh, Josh Peck of the Sharpening Report, that's who we've been talking to tonight. And Josh, thanks again for coming on the Fourth Watch. It is always a pleasure. And uh, man, I, uh, I had a good time on the Sharpening Report. We're going we're gonna to have to do that more often. <laughs> Absolutely. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for having me back on. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Awesome. God bless you, brother. Good night. Yep. Good night. Well, that was a lot to think about, and I sure enjoy talking with Josh. But now I want to steer us into tonight's Bible study segment. And the general idea that we're going to be looking at tonight is evangelism. We see a portion of scripture in Matthew chapter 28 that's popularly referred to as the Great Commission. This is literally the time right after Jesus' resurrection, but before the ascension, where Jesus was leaving his disciples with the holy agenda in which they were to follow. Let me take you there real quick. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, starting in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, remember, ladies and gentlemen, there were only 11 at this time because Judas was dead. So the 11 disciples, or we should say the 11 remaining disciples, all meet up at the very mountain where Jesus had already met with them previously, where he had appointed them. So it was seemingly somewhat of a special place that was familiar to them, and it was associated with their private meetings with Jesus. But then here comes Jesus and the disciples worshipped him. But some doubted. Now, a quick side note, they worshipped him. That's what the text tells us. And this also signifies that Jesus Christ Yeshua was and is, in fact, God. And furthermore, he's equal to the Father. Remember that awesome Hebrew word Elohim, which is translated in English as God? Well, as I've stated before, Elohim is a plural word. And this further supports the doctrine of the triune God, or as many like to say, the Trinity. When we look through scripture, we see that there were holy angels that would rebuke people for trying to worship them, except for the angel of the Lord, 
which we know is Jesus. As we've broken this down previously in the shows I did with BDK entitled The Cosmic War. So Jesus is being worshipped here and he's accepting it. I just wanted to break that down because you will probably meet many folks in this life who will try to tell you that they believe in Yahweh, but they deny the Godship of Christ. And many of these people will often say that Jesus never allowed people to worship him. But my Bible is pretty clear on the matter. So the disciples are worshiping the resurrected Christ right there at the mountain where he had appointed them. Now, verse 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. A few quick notes here, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus had just defeated death. He obliterated the schemes of Satan outside of time. You see, time is an earthly thing within our dimensions. So when something takes place outside of time, it's literally being settled for all eternity. Now, there are still things that have to take place inside of time, but the outcome has already been settled in eternity because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, because of this great act, all power has been given to Christ in heaven and earth, and he has truly empowered us to do amazing tasks in his name. He's told us to go into all the nations and teach the things that Christ taught the disciples, which in essence, he taught us, because these things were all written down in the New Testament. But furthermore, they've been passed down from disciples making disciples making disciples. You following this? You see, the life of Christ taught us everything that we need to be saved and to glorify God. And we see Jesus saying this right here in this passage. So he told us to go to all nations and share the things that he taught us. And he even said to go and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's pretty straightforward. Now, many will take this as a call to international missions. But the reality is a lot simpler than that. Wherever you go, share the gospel. And even furthermore, disciple people into the teachings of Christ. This isn't telling you to move to Africa. This is telling you to share everywhere you go. Now, let me be clear. There's nothing wrong with international missions. Matter of fact, I think it's a great thing to get out there on the mission field internationally. But what this is doing is it's telling us to share the gospel everywhere we go. Literally, your mission field is every piece of ground that your foot touches. And in this very act, which can be intimidating at times, we are comforted to know that Christ is right there with us always. So we have been called to evangelize people with the good news, but also in doctrine. Remember, Jesus said to teach all that he has taught. That actually steers us into the task of discipleship. But the first step is sharing the gospel. Now, I'm about to get a little controversial for some of you, but hopefully you'll see the big picture by the time we finish. I recently read a part of a mini study by a man named Cameron Butel, and I have to say that I was blessed and encouraged by it. So I want to examine the topic because I feel that it's extremely relevant and timely and should bring everyone some encouragement and motivation. I'd like to start by saying that most of us already know that Christmas was created as a Christian spinoff of a pagan holiday known as Saturnalia. No one is here to deny that. And it's pretty apparent that Jesus wasn't born anywhere near December 25th. 
And to go a little further, the wise men never showed up at the manger. <laughs> so those nativity scenes that you see out there, yeah, they're not biblically accurate. As a matter of fact, at one of my churches, when they would set up all the Christmas decorations, I would go in there and I would take the wise men and I would move them like all the way across the church and hide them somewhere. <laughs> But the fact is, the wise men never showed up at the manger. And all these things are undeniable historical facts. But there's something unique about Christmas, especially in America. Now, for the anti-Christmas crowd, don't turn this off. Because tonight's discussion is not telling you to decorate a tree. We're not telling you to put lights in your yard. Hang in there, and you're going to be blessed. This is a message of evangelism. So as I said, there's something unique about Christmas, especially in America... It's the season that offers an easy opportunity to share the gospel of Christ. Literally, it's an open door. The door is open. All you have to do is walk through it. Now, some will argue that you can share the gospel all year round. Of course. As a matter of fact, I hope that you do. But unfortunately, I have a feeling that the majority of you listening right now do not in fact take advantage of every opportunity to share the gospel. So tonight is about seizing the opportunity to share the gospel during a season where many people's hearts are actually softened and tender towards the idea of Christ. And they're celebrating the idea of Jesus being born on this earth. That right there sets the playing field right up for you. This is an undeniable fact. People are celebrating the idea of Jesus being born on this earth. And if you're listening and you refuse to share the gospel during this season... Just because you hate the pagan origins and the consumerism of American Christmas, you will miss out on some major blessings. The fact is, you cannot cherry pick the seasons that you want to evangelize in. I mean, honestly, why wouldn't you take the head start? That's truly what it is. I remember as a kid, I would race my friends around the neighborhood on our bicycles. And when someone was intimidated and not wanting to race because they thought we would beat them, and the fact is, we would have beat them. But some of the kids would get intimidated and they didn't want to race us. So what would we do? We would usually offer them a head start. You go ahead and take off. By the time you get to so-and-so's house, we're going to go ahead and come behind you. What we were doing was making things easier on the person. We were making things less intimidating for them so that they would race. And the Christmas season is pretty much the only time of year that the majority of people at least acknowledge the fact that Christ was born. Again, forget all that goes on for a second and consider that this is a great head start to plant seeds of the gospel in your unbelieving friends and family. So tying it back to the idea of racing, the kids were intimidated, they didn't want to race, and so we'd let them get a head start. We'd make it easier on them to enter into the race. Once they got so many feet down the road, then we would start. Evangelizing is so much like this because it's intimidating. Many of us don't want to evangelize because we're scared. We fear the people's responses. We don't want to put ourselves in a head-to-head collision because that's what it is. The truth colliding with lies. But when we have a head start, when people are already tender to the idea, why don't we go ahead and take it? Now you may ask, why would I say such a thing? Why would I say that Christmas is the time where it's easy to plant the seeds? Well, it's the time that many people have a spirit of giving. They've got the spirit of kindness. For some strange reason, it's the time of year that people are able to mend broken relationships and even start over. On the other hand, it's a time of year where many people are hurting and depressed. 
and those people are needing some good company. This offers another great door to share the gospel, and in doing so, you're sharing the love of God with those people. So it is a fact. Christmas offers a prime window of opportunity to share the gospel of Christ with the unbelieving world. And let me remind you, many of the unbelieving world is made up of people who think they believe. That should cut to somebody's heart right there. So rather than making the holidays about dividing and judging Christians and shunning the culture, the holiday should truly be a joyous time, particularly for Christians, because it provides us with an outstanding opportunity to talk about Christ. But the good news of the Messiah's birth is seemingly pushed further back and further back each year by our pagan culture. And the sad thing is that many Christians aren't helping in the fight. We should be taking every opportunity to stand up for the name of Christ. We see there's actually quite a few unbelievers in the world who do make the connection between Christmas and Christ, but they end up getting engulfed in the cultural beast of consumerism. And somewhere in the midst of that, they end up celebrating a sentimental infant idol that they call baby Jesus, who in their mind only represents peace and goodwill towards men. And people like us who know the real Jesus often get resented for trying to share the rest of his characteristics. But why would we get resented in this act? Because we're not properly prepared for evangelism. See, it's really twofold. We have to be prepared. We have to be prepared to answer the tough questions and to share the love of God based on a biblical understanding. But on the other hand, the person's heart has to be in a situation where it will receive what you're telling them. But the difficult part is when we take it deeper in conversation, it seems like the objections come firing right out at us. Now, we're going to get to that in a minute. You see, the problem is that people just want the sweet baby Jesus without understanding his true purpose and his standards. This is because we live in a world that wants to make their own God on their own terms, and oftentimes they will even call their self-created God by the name Jesus, especially around Christmas time. But the truth remains, they need to be properly introduced to the real Jesus Christ Yeshua, which is so much more than a little baby in a manger. And what a better time to do it than his perceived birthday. I say perceived because like I said earlier, he was not born anywhere near December 25th. But the fact that his birthday is perceived to be December 25th, the fact that people recognize and acknowledge the 25th as Jesus' birthday, seize the moment. Take advantage of the cultural situation to share the gospel. I realize that many of you, myself included, get attacked and sometimes even feel hopeless in our evangelism efforts. And that's because people only want the peace and goodwill of the baby Jesus. And as I said, when we go deeper, the tough questions come out. Unfortunately, when the tough questions come out, they usually come in the form of disgruntled protests by our friends and family. Here's a few that might sound familiar. How can a loving God send people to hell? How can God justly condemn people who have never heard the gospel? Why doesn't God save everyone? And why doesn't God punish all the evil in the world? These are questions that generally come up when you're evangelizing the non-believer. And I'll be honest with you, I'll take it further. There's people who call themselves believers who struggle with these questions. But you see, the summation of all these questions boils down to the popular assertion that the God of the Bible is unfair. And today I'm here to tell you that they are absolutely right. The God of the Bible is totally unfair. Or as Cameron Butel said in his mini-study, God is amazingly unfair and the birth of Christ is the most lavish example of God putting his unfairness on display before humanity. Whew. 
Let me say that again. God is amazingly unfair. And the birth of Christ is the most lavish example of God putting his unfairness on display for all humanity to see. So while the world is right about God's unfairness, they're actually on the wrong side of understanding it. I can say this based on the world's objections to the real Christ. But what if we can help them to better understand the reality of God's unfairness? What if we can direct them into seeing that God's unfairness is actually to their advantage? In order to make this happen, we have to guide them into asking the right questions, which should help them into appreciating the fact that God's unfairness is the good news that we call the gospel. But we have to make it clear that God's unfairness is actually in our favor. So in order to begin this process, let's just look at one of the most popular complaints about God's fairness, or as the world would say, the lack thereof. If God is so loving, how can he send people to hell? I've literally heard this probably every time I've tried to evangelize somebody. First of all, this question is rooted in an inflated view of man and a deflated view of God. This is something we have to deal with up front. It's all about man. The modern church teaches it's all about you. You are the center and God surrounds you. But in reality, God is the center and we're just little pieces of grass. God does love us. It's very important that we talk about God's love for us. But that's not the most important thing. God did not create us so that he could love us. The Bible says God created us to glorify him. You see, when we understand that we were created to glorify God, we realize it's not about what God can do for us. It's about what we're supposed to do for God. So if God is so loving, how can he send people to hell? As I said, this question is totally rooted with an inflated view of man and a deflated view of God. If this paradigm never shifts in somebody's life, they will never, ever get to know God and they will spend eternity in hell. Proverbs 20 verse 6 tells us that men love to proclaim their own goodness. This is something that we see on a daily basis. Turn your TV on and you will see men proclaiming their own goodness. And men are pure in their own eyes according to Proverbs 16 too. Nobody ever wants to admit they're wrong. We live in a culture where nobody ever sins. Everybody is always right. But the reality is that we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 you see, this means that we all have failed to reach God's righteous standards. And it's important that we put ourselves on the same level as the person whom we're witnessing to. Make it clear that we all, including yourself, have fallen short and even do fall short sometimes of God's glory. Evening the playing field makes things less intrusive on an unbeliever. And it also keeps you from getting puffed up and coming off as arrogant when you're evangelizing. So be sure to always keep yourself on their level, remembering that you're no better than they are. And just remember, the only thing that makes you different from them is that you've been saved by the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8-9 through 9 tells us, For by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Make sure that you're not boasting on your works. It is only by the grace of God that you are saved through faith in Jesus Christ Yeshua. It is literally the gift of God. And the fact is, people ought to tremble at the thought of standing alone before God on Judgment Day. Hebrews 9.27 
And how about Revelation chapter 20 verses 11 through 15? But they don't comprehend the reality of their situation. People don't. It's part of the human curse, which is why we have to communicate that reality. But we have to communicate it properly. For example, the Bible says that all liars will end up in hell. Revelation 21.8 If that seems overly harsh, consider this. If you lie to one of your children, there's nothing they can do to you. But if you lie to your spouse, your home life can be tremendously affected. If you lie to your employer, you'll probably get fired. If you lie in court, you might end up in jail. Although the crime never changed in each of those scenarios, the level of punishment changed in proportion to the level of authority that was offended. But the problem is not only how serious our sins are, but also how righteous God is. You see, He is pure light without any trace of darkness. 1 John 1.5 He created you. Genesis 1.26-27 God owns you. Psalm 24 verse 1 He is fully worthy to receive your undivided worship. Revelation 4.11 And He demands your perfect obedience to His law. Matthew 5.48 When we understand our sin properly in terms of the righteous God that it offends, we can then appreciate the necessity of hell. And more than that, we stand amazed that we don't all wind up in hell. And it's from that perspective that the question isn't how can a loving God send people to hell, but rather the question ought to be, why doesn't God give us all the due punishment for our sin? and send everyone to hell. And that opens up the door to explain that the answer is simple. Because God is unfair to himself. And it's in his unfairness that he laid down his life as he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ Yeshua, to die on the cross to pay for the sins of the world. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring Glad tidings of good things. Romans 10 verses 12 through 15. It is our job to share the gospel, to disciple people into a real relationship with Jesus Christ. If we don't preach it to them, who will? This Christmas season, don't get your focus on the consumerism Don't get your focus on the paganism of everything. Focus on the real Christ. Don't be bogged down by what the world's doing. Focus on Christ, the glorified cosmic king. Let that fuel your evangelism this season. The opportunity that Christmas brings for you to share the gospel, that in and of itself is a reason to rejoice. I want to encourage you to just take a moment and ask the Lord to remove any bitterness that might be keeping you from evangelizing this season. Pray that your focus will be on Christ, 
which is truly what it should be all year long. If you've been guilty of losing your focus on either side of the holidays, go ahead and repent and start making your main focus glorifying God in everything that you do. Making sure to share the gospel with every door that's open. And as always, I encourage you to pray for wisdom and discernment as you grow each day in the knowledge and saving grace of Jesus Christ Yeshua. If you're listening right now and you haven't accepted the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua as your personal Lord and Savior, and you haven't accepted His holy sacrifice on the cross to pay for your sins, it's absolutely impossible for you to have a solid understanding of His Word. It's impossible to find protection from the demonic realm and the days that are fast approaching, friends. And furthermore, it's impossible to have peace with Yahweh Elohim, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ Yeshua. But here's the good news. You can start anew right now. You can repent of your sins and have the wages of your sins paid in full. Now is the time to repent and turn away from your sins and make right with the will of God. You see, the Bible declares that we don't know what tomorrow holds, so we must take action with the time that we have right now. Repentance is the first step. This means turning 180 degrees from your past thoughts, actions, and lifestyles that are in opposition to the Most High God. Because of Jesus Christ Yeshua and His once and for all sacrifice, you can be forgiven of your iniquity and every sin you've ever committed. Yahweh is a jealous God, but He's also rich in mercy, and tonight, if you're willing to admit your wrongs and repent, He's willing to show you that mercy right now, friends. The wages of our sin is death, but tonight we can receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. But as it says in Romans 6.23, only through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no other way to come to God, folks. There's no other way to get salvation. You can't earn your salvation by good works. Fact is, Jesus Christ is the only way. Every other way, folks, leads to hell. There's no authentic way to the Father but Jesus Christ Yeshua. I'm so thankful that God sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross, a living sacrifice, and shed His sinless and perfect blood to pay the debt of our sins and the ability to be seen as blameless before God on that day of judgment. Let today be the beginning of your communion and peace with God as you're filled with the Holy Spirit and begin putting on the armor of God and growing into an intimate relationship with Him. It's the will of God that you don't perish, but rather that you repent and enter into a relationship with Him based on His terms. If you're not sure of what God's terms are, I want to challenge you to start reading your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, get one and learn firsthand what God expects from you. Christ is our only hope, friends, and my prayer is that you believe on Him tonight. That's the most important part of the show, and by far the most important decision you will ever have to make in this life. Amen. It's been an interesting adventure tonight, and I hope you've all enjoyed this broadcast. If you ever miss a show or would like to go back and re-listen to an old one, every show is archived in high-quality streams on my website. FourthWatchRadio.blogspot.com That's the number 4-T-H-W-A-T-C-H-R-A-D-I-O.B-L-O-G-S-P-O-T.com FourthWatchRadio.blogspot.com There you'll find every broadcast dated and summarized for your convenience. 
Be sure to scroll all the way down on each page and click on the words Older Posts to be taken to more pages of archived shows. You can also find my shows broadcasted by the Fourth Watch Radio Network on Shoutcast, Spreaker, iTunes, or if you have an iPhone, iPad, or Android, you can download the Fourth Watch Radio Network app and enjoy easy streaming. For higher quality broadcasts, stay tuned in via fourthwatchradio.blogspot.com for all the latest shows. Like us on Facebook and feel free to add my personal page as well. If the Fourth Watch is ministered to you and you would like to help support this ministry, you can follow the link on our website. I bid you all a week filled with grace and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see you all next week. God bless and good night. You're listening to The Fourth Watch with Justin Fall on the Fourth Watch Radio Network.